Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. We're going to be starting off where we left off last time. Okay, so we were discussing in Galatians. Um, we were in chapter 2, and we left off um, towards the end. So before we get there, I want to give you a quick review of what we've covered so far. Okay, so just kind of an overview. Um, the book of Galatians, according to most scholars, was written to the southern Galatian churches. Uh, and the, that church was established around 48 A.D., um, the book was actually written, most scholars believe, around 48 to 49 A.D. Some even extended to 50. Um, but either way, the letter was actually written six months to a year and a half after the church was established. So that's where we are. And Paul wasn't too happy with the church, right? He wasn't happy that the direction that they chosen to take. And, it, it, and there's a reason for that. So Paul wasn't happy because he was hearing that they were being taught that they had to be circumcised, among other things, to follow Christ. So Paul considered that desertion from Christ. You were walking away from Christ is what Paul considered that. So having said that, that prompted his letter, which is the book of Galatians. That prompted him to write it, a rebuke to the church. Now, in chapter 1, we talked about how Paul addresses at the beginning who he is and how he became um, Christian and what's his standing in the church, so to speak. Then he details the problem right after that. And then he goes back up again with who he is and why he was called and so on. So it was like he was he was wanting them to know, hey, this is me. This is Paul. This is how I was called. And if you remember, he was a, he was called an apostle, not by men, but of God. So he's detailing all of that. And then in chapter two, he goes into um, a situation. He begins to tell them how he encountered the same. Some would say some of the same Judaizers in chapter two, as far as. Um, he, he, he encountered the teachings that they were being taught there. He encountered it, I believe it's in Acts 15, um, about you must be circumcised and so on, about following the works of the law. And so he's detailing that and giving them an example. So he wants them to know, hey, you, what you're being taught now is what was being approached to me years back, and it wasn't good. And then he details, he says, and we didn't stand for it. We didn't allow it. So he gives them that backdrop, okay? And then in verse 11 through 14, he rebukes Peter. I find it interesting that he puts that in this book, in this letter, right? He wants them to know, hey, this situation happened. Barnabas was there. Titus was there. I was there, and Peter was there, and I rebuked Peter, right? So Peter was well-known. The Bible in Galatians, he, he details it as they were called the pillars of the church, Peter, John, and James, right? So he's, he's making it a point. I rebuked one of the, the pillars, for doing this very thing, this teaching. So that's where we left off, okay? So they were following, they were being taught false teaching about circumcision and about other things, following the old law um, works according to the law. Now we're going to start in verse, um, well, it stops in verse 14. Now I want to make this one caveat. So the rebuke, according to which scholar you read, some scholars believe that the rebuke ended in verse 14 of chapter 2. Other scholars believe the rebuke ended in verse 17, and others believe it ended in verse 21. So it just depends on who you read and, and what they believe where the rebuke ends, okay? Some have it differently than others. But nevertheless, um, for me, I think the rebuke goes a little bit further. I think it goes into to verse 17. So either way, you will have your choice on where you think, but we're going to study that and we'll look at that. So let's turn to Galatians. 
chapter 2, verse 17. That's where we will start. And we're going to take these verses slowly as always, okay? So, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ then one who encourages sin? Absolutely not. So keep in mind, right above this is where Paul is showing the rebuke of Peter, right? And he's talking about no one will be justified by the works of the law right above this scripture. So in verse 17, he leads with this. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ then one who encourages sin? And then an astounding, absolutely not. Now, he poses this question, and he poses it as an argument that a Judaizer would make. Okay, so he's not just saying that. He's not uh, questioning himself and then writing about it or anything else. He's actually giving you an argument that a Judaizer would give. Well, in other words, if, if I follow Christ, then I'm walking away from the law. And if I'm walking away from the law, that's sin. Therefore, Christ is encouraging sin, so to speak. If I follow Christ in that way, I'm sinning. And that's what he's detailing in here. And he's saying, hey, that's not the way it is. And he says, absolutely not. You are not in sin for that. So if you find yourself a sinner from walking away from the law, then you yourselves, he's detailing, have made yourself a, sin, a sinner. And he's going to go on and talk about that in the next verse, and we'll get to that. So why does he say that? Why, why is he first saying, absolutely not, that's not what makes you a sinner? He's saying that because what, would the, what did the law do for us? The law exposed our sin, right? The law wasn't bad, but the law was like a mirror. It was like a, a holy mirror, right? Except what it showed us is that we couldn't meet that perfection. We couldn't meet that standard. Right. So that's what it's showing us. So having said that, he's looking at that and he's realizing that. And he says he says this in in some sense in verse. I think it was earlier in chapter, maybe chapter one. He details or he talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. We have freedom. Right. And that's an important thing. There's something to be said about, hey, when you go to Christ, you're not in sin. In fact, you're not in sin when you choose to walk away from the works of the law. You're actually in freedom. Okay, that's important. Now, having said that, this type of sin and what he's talking about here, it doesn't mean that if we follow Christ that we can be perfect and, and we'll never make a mistake. That's not what that's talking about. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to kind of talk about that a little bit because I don't want us to get confused. This chapter in this book is specifically talking about works of the law and how we can sin through that way. Okay, so right now, He's talking about specifically works of the law. Now, having said that, remember that this chapter is not about, or it it actually is, here's the the difference between the two. It's about striving striving to be justified versus having Christ justifying you. That's what it's detailing. So which one's right? Striving to be justified before God or having Christ justify you? That's what he's detailing in this chapter. And he's saying, hey, you shouldn't, be try- you shouldn't be striving to be justified. You should be justified by Christ. That's how we're justified. Now, why is this important? Why is that important? Why is he detailing about this? Why is he making an argument here? Why is he doing those things? Why is he saying those things? Well, because if I build those things that I once destroyed, then I find myself a sinner. It's not Christ who makes me a sinner, right? I'm redoing those things. Let me give you an example. You ever said you were going to do something? You said, you know what? 
um, come Monday, I'm going to do a thousand push-ups a day, right? We've all said those things, right? We all have, and men, we know that, right? The women will have honeydews and like, yeah, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that tomorrow, right? We all say that, right? <laughs> but it doesn't get done, right? And what do we feel when it doesn't get done? We feel kind of a letdown, right? If, if, you, if you start to think about it, you're like, ah, yeah, I didn't accomplish it today, but maybe tomorrow. Or next week then. And before you know it, you're like, I don't even want to commit to that, man, you know? Well, that's because your expectations are let down, right? You set an expectation for yourself, and you couldn't meet it. Imagine the law that demands perfection. If you sin once, if, in other words, if you, if you break one of the laws, you're guilty of breaking them all. Imagine that standard. Now, imagine how you would feel trying to follow that standard. This is what the Jews are doing, and this is why Paul is making it a point. You can't go that route. If you go that route, he details it, and he says, that's desertion from Christ. You're walking away from Christ. So imagine this. This is more relatable to, I think, all of us. Have you ever, and I've said this last time, you ever missed um, a church day? I'm not talking about six months worth. I'm talking about a church day. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever not, maybe you missed a prayer, right? You ever done any of those things? Those aren't bad in and of itself. If I just miss one, it's not a bad thing, right? I, in fact, haven't even sinned, right? Because it's just one of those, what if I had to work and I had to miss, you know? Now, I'm not giving an excuse to miss six months because I told you that's different. We'll detail some of that stuff. But nevertheless, if you ever view those things as though there's a consequence to your salvation, there's a problem, right? You shouldn't view it as, oh, man, I didn't go, man. I don't know if I'm saved. It shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't be questioning your salvation. I can't tell you how many Christians I see oftentimes question it, and I get told all the time. I get asked, hey, how do you know if you're saved? I'm like, didn't I, wasn't I with you? Wasn't I in church when you got saved? Wasn't I? You know. But people question it. They question it. It shouldn't be that way when you make a mistake. Again, I'm not talking about sin in general. Now, if you do sin, now I want to detail this because, well, I'll get there in just a minute. But if someone tells you, go door to door, you know, that's attached to your salvation. If someone tells you, you got to go on a mission, that's attached to your salvation. None of those are true. Anything that anyone tells you that's attached to your salvation is wrong, and you shouldn't follow it. Anything, there's nothing should be attached to your salvation. Now, we say this because I, I know there's a lot of theologians out there saying, no, you got to repent, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. Yes, we understand that. But what I mean by that is what Paul is detailing here, and he details it in Romans 10. I believe that's what we read last, last week or last time I spoke. That faith, the, the salvation part takes place in the heart first, right? Then all of those things begin to produce what? Repentance, your confession, all of those things. So it starts here first. So remember that anything that anyone would attach to your salvation, you shouldn't listen to. That's a deceptive teaching. The Bible doesn't say that. Salvation comes through faith alone in Christ. That's how it comes. Now, having said that, a work, we're talking about a work. If anything you feel is attached to it, it's a work-based mindset. A work can be anything that would take the place of Christ's justification for you. Anything that would take that place, that's a work. Now, sin, let's talk about sin real quick. Sin will always make you feel bad, right? Or at least it should. <laughs> it should make you feel bad. 
but it shouldn't make you feel less saved, right? It shouldn't make you feel less saved. Now, that's not repetitive. That's not practicing and so on. If you practice, then I, need, I think you need to question it. <laughs> I think you need to question some justification there, right, if you're practicing it. But actual just making a mistake and sinning, you should not be questioning your salvation. You should be confident in who you are and who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. So remember that. And, and that's so important because you don't know how often that preachers probably hear this very same thing. And they sin and people are like, can you lead me into the prayer of salvation again? Why? You made a mistake. It doesn't mean you fell off the road and now you're not in Christ and so on, right? God's not up there like this, okay? You made it, you didn't. You made it, you didn't. You made it, you didn't. He's not doing that, right? So we got to have some confidence there. So that's what I mean by sin should always make you feel bad, right? That's what, what conviction is. Conviction is your conscience telling you, or it's the Holy Spirit telling you you've done something wrong and he's getting your heart checked, right? Now, everyone knows, generally speaking, when we've crossed the line into sin. Generally speaking, we all know, right? There are some sins of omission, but in general, we know when we've crossed the line. Now, you have to ask yourself, though, have I crossed the line of sin, or am I trying to get approval from someone other than God? Because there's a fine line there. Sometimes we feel as though we've sinned when we haven't, right? I'll give you an example. I back, you, most of you see me back there, I'm running sound. If for some reason I couldn't make it to church, emergency happened or whatever, I couldn't make it to church, I would feel bad that I didn't come. I wouldn't feel like I sinned, right? I should feel bad. Well, I say I should be. For me personally, I would feel bad. I'd like, man, I want to help the pastors out here, right? But I don't feel like I've sinned, and I certainly don't feel like I'm not saved now. <laughs> but you, it's funny how many Christians actually think this way, right? So I just want to get that straight. Now, having said that, let's go on and see my time. Cool. All right. Now, what, I, what the point is, is I want you to know that your salvation is yours when you have it. When Christ saves you, he saves you. Now, I'm not preaching once saved, always saved, or anything like that. I'm talking about your confidence in Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So when Christ saves you, your salvation stands. You shouldn't feel any less justified when you make any mistake. You, you can feel convicted, but not less justified. I know who has saved me. And that's one thing I've always followed. I've made mistakes over the, over the years. But you know one thing? I usually, I say I usually, I never really do. I never question my faith, my, my faith in Christ, my salvation. I never do. I just pick myself up and say, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I've made it a practice. No, nope, no matter what it is, I don't go that, ru- that route. I don't cross that line. I don't think that way. So you've got to instill it in your mind. You cannot think that way. Okay. Now that's for those of us who are following Christ, who are not making a practice of sin and so on. So I want to make that clear. Okay. So my question to you is, is do you have confidence in Christ's salvation? In Christ's salvation for you? Do you have that confidence? Let's turn to Matthew 24, 11 through 12, because this is important. This is the reason why I asked that question. The Bible says this, in the last times, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many. And because lawlessness will increase, so much of the love of many will grow cold. False prophets will deceive many. That means in the churches. They're going to come in and they're going to be deceiving people. And they're doing it to the Galatian church even now, even when the letter was written. 
They're doing it to them. So don't think that was like a year after, like I say, almost a year after they were even established. So don't think, oh, that could never happen to me. Well, if you're not, if your head's not in here, you can be deceived if you don't know what's here. So we have to examine the scriptures. You, you say, well, how do we know that? Let's examine the scriptures. Let's get in there and we'll know exactly what we need to know. What is one of the ways we need to know? We examine this by testing the spirit. Of course, that's what the scripture says, right? We test people. If you say something, I want to see it for myself. I see, okay, it's in there. It's in the Bible. Yep, uh-huh, that makes sense, yep. That's how we examine it, right? There's no other way. Unless the spirit just really gives us an unction, there's no other way. This is how we do it right here. So remember that. And that's why it's important to know how you're justified and stand unwavering in faith because people can be receptive to deception. So let's go to verse, let's read on to verse 18. Galatians chapter 2, verse 18. But if I build up again those things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I am the one who breaks God's law. So remember, he makes the argument. He makes the argument, well, what if I follow Christ and I walk away from the law? Is that sin? He says, no, if I build up again those things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I'm the one that breaks God's law. So he's giving you an illustration. That's why you know it's connected when he says in verse 8, what he says in verse 17 is connected to this one because he's, he right after says, if I build up again. So he's saying, if I walk away from the law and I turn to Christ and I find myself a sinner, that means I'm doing this. And I'm looking at the law and I'm saying, oh, maybe I should be doing this with, with Christ. I should be doing this law with Christ. Now I found myself to be a sinner because I'm looking into the mirror of the law of which a standard I can't follow. So we should be following Christ. And that's what he's saying here. I'm the one that has made myself a sinner when I look at that. Why? Because if I look at Christ, I find grace. Right? He cleanses me. So let's go to verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now I love that. Let me read that again. For through the law I died to the law. What does he mean by that? So let's, I'm going to read you a couple of verses, all right, in Scripture. Y'all don't have to turn there. You can read it up on the screens. But we're going to put all this together to make sense of it, okay? So let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, with the result that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. That word end. In the Greek, the Greek word is telos. It's a root word for tello. And what that means is, it means a definite point or a goal, and a point or a limit or a purpose. That's what it means. So in this scripture, Paul is detailing the purpose of the law was to point to Christ. Let's read on. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll turn there in just a minute. Let's, let's see this. So I want to say this. The, the, the whole purpose of the law was to point to Christ. And Paul is saying that the law's purpose was to show how sinful he was, right, and how sinful we were, and to show us how righteous the law was, because the law is good. We don't ever want to say the law was bad. It was good. And it showed us the need for Christ. In a sense, now I'm going to make a statement here. In a sense, it was to... It, 
in a sense, the law killed Paul by judgment because he would never be right with God as the law was temporary until Christ would come. He said, what? Did that guy just say the law killed Paul? Let me explain. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Oh, we'll go to verse 4 first. Now we have such confidence in God through Christ. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Who made us adequate to be servants of the new covenant, not based on the letter, but on the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now let's turn to one more scripture, Romans 6.23. For the payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we just read three scriptures, all of them detailing something, painting the very picture Paul is painting when he said, I died through the law, I died to the law. That's painting that picture. In other words, Paul found himself walking through the law, right, trying to follow it, realizing he will never accomplish the goal of justification. He will never meet the standard. And because of that, he realizes that if he keeps on this path, that the law itself demands that I meet every requirement. And if I can't, the law demands death. Because the wages of sin are death. So now I find myself being killed by the law. Right? The law in and of itself is good, but it shows us how bad we are. So that's what he's detailing here. So he says, it's dead. Paul says this, I had to leave it. I had to leave the law. It's dead to him because he's now in Christ. It's like you putting away sin. You want no part of it, right? You're done with it. Yeah, I'm done with it. I'm not going to look at it anymore. I'm gone. He's doing the same thing to the law, to the works of the law. Okay. Now, let's read on to in 2 Galatians uh, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the flesh, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So think about this. Paul is making in his argument, and some, some scholars believe this is an ongoing argument, telling them, I say argument, rebuke, telling them and detailing them, this is why we don't do this, Right? Because you're walking away. You can't make it right. So he finally says this. He says, can we go back to verse 20? I have been crucified with Christ. So Christ lives in us. That's what he's saying. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul gives us a perfect description of what it means to live in Christ. It is no longer him, but Christ who lives in him. In other words, he dies to himself. That's what he's saying. He no longer lives for his own desires and pleasures. He isn't seeking to fulfill those things anymore. See, Christ living is with the thought of what God wants, not what we want. That's Christ living. Now, we all have natural desires and passions. I'm not saying those are bad, and Paul isn't saying those either. But there's a big difference. You can have those desires, right? But they should all be governed by Christ in your life. You should have what Philippians 2, 4, 5 ha says. 
let's turn there real quick. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ did. Right? I like in uh, King James Version, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. We'll stop there. I like in other versions, it says, you should have the mind of Christ. It says in that verse. In other words, your outlook on life and everything in it should be geared towards what Christ is leading and wanting you to do. Everything you do. You can have your house. You can have your car. You can have those things. But you should be checking with God first. Everything. Everything you do. So what does Christ want? We ask the, the obvious question. Well, then what does he want? Is all, it's all in here. I like what I, I, I like. Um, the Pharisees asked Jesus, what are the two greatest or what is the greatest commandments? Right. I like what um, we all know the the uh, the answer to that. Right. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then um, love your neighbor as yourself. And I like there's a guy named Vadi Bachman, an apologist, pastor and teacher. And <laughs> he says it like this because it's so true. He says what they what they didn't know is that this is what Jesus was really replying to him. He says, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your soul. And he says, that's detailed in the first four commandments. And he says, love your, your neighbor as yourself. And that's followed up with the next six commandments. <laughs> Essentially, he was saying all ten commandments is what he was saying. If you ever read the ten commandments, what is it? Let me see if I can find that real fast. This is, you know what, I better not. I'll, I'll mess with this and mess it up. Yeah, the, the first four is all about loving God. That's all it is. You can go in there and read it yourself, the first, ten, the, and the first four of the commandments. The next six is all about loving others. So, so he said, the, the two greatest, the first four, followed by the next six. <laughs> like, they didn't even catch that like crazy. I love that. I love that. So, what does Christ want? Christ wants us to love, to walk in love. And if we do that, we are fulfilling the Ten Commandments. We are fulfilling the entire Scripture, right? Because the whole point of this was to point to Christ. That was the whole point. They asked him, they asked one of the, I think it was Jesus that asked one of the, I don't know if it's a Pharisee or a scribe. And he asked them, he posed the question, what did the Old Testament sum up to? You know what they said? Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor. They responded that way. So if the Old Testament summed up to that, we know the New Testament sums up to that. That's what we should be doing. Love God and love your neighbor. Simple as that. It's not a complicated formula. It's really easy. So at the end of this verse, let's go to the second, second Galatians, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Go to verse 21, I'm sorry. He's going to end with this. He goes back to his argument, and he goes back to what he was telling them. He says, I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Man, he's giving them a sermon. And y'all think this is bad? Like He's about to hit him up in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. <laughs> 
He's about, he's giving it to him. He's giving him, and not only that, he's talking to, to those people who understood the law. And he's just breaking it down for them, breaking it down. They, I mean, it's awesome the way he does it. So let me see, make sure, okay, I got three minutes. I just want to go to this. So in chapter three, let's, let's go to verse one. I, didn't, I don't think I gave you that. So that was the end of chapter, chapter two. I may not, I better not. I better not. We got two minutes left. So <laughs> I might spend another seven minutes at least. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, so that's what we talked about. In verse, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 17 through 21, Paul is detailing with them in Scripture why they must walk away from the law. They got to walk towards Christ. And he's talking about it in different ways. And you can find it in Scripture and you can make sense of it. And you're like, man, this is what he was really saying. This is what he was telling them. To a, to a Jew, they understood that. They're looking at that like, man, because they understood the law better than anybody, right? So he's detailing, detailing all of that. And then he ends up with saying, I died. He says, through the law, I died to the law. And he ends with, I do not set aside God's grace. Because if, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Man, now if that's the end of the rebuke, which some scholars believe, Man, he rebuked him. <laughs> he rebuked him. He, I'm talking about Peter. He rebuked Peter because that's, that's the end of that, that verse where some scholars believe that's where, where it went to. Um, so he set him straight if that were the case. And if not, well, he set him all straight either way. So having said that, um, let's stand up and let's get in a prayer. Lord, we just ask you, Father, that you would help us, Father, and instill in us, Father, a confidence. A confidence, Father, that's unshaking and unwavering. A confidence that, that says to us we are justified. That we are saved. Lord, I pray, Father, that we could say the same thing as, as Paul would say, as he said numerous times throughout the New Testament. I have no confidence in the flesh. And we have confidence in God. And we have confidence in Christ. And he says this numerous times. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would develop that type of confidence in our life. That we would understand, Father, that if we make a mistake, we know we're still justified. We can just come before you humbly asking for forgiveness. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would develop that type of confidence. The confidence, Father, that will last. That in times of trials, in times of deceptive teachings, Father, that we would know no matter what and we wouldn't waver from that. And we would know we were justified by Christ. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would understand what it means to live in Christ, what it means to, to have Christ live in us. It is no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. I pray, Father, that we would understand that and get a grasp of that, Father, so that every, make, every waking decision we do or make, Father, that it's guided by your presence, that is guided by the Holy Spirit, that is guided by Christ and what Christ would want in our life. And I pray, Father, that that the Holy Spirit would begin to check our hearts, Father, every time it's not. Every time it's not from you. Lord, we need, we need to hear more, Father, especially in these times, in every time, really, but especially in these times. We need to hear you, Father. We need to hear your voice clearly, Father, in the way you speak to us, each individually. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to live as Paul lived to live as Paul lived, to live as Peter lived, to live as James lived, and so on, Father, to live like Christ.
serving you, loving God and loving our neighbor. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to do those two things. As your scripture says, and the, the scripture I love to quote, you give us the desire, the power to do what pleases you. And I pray, Father, you would do just that, to do what pleases you. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah. 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 Shift to your left.